Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Okay, Roros, you know what time it is. We're diving right into another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm your co-host, Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And before we get into all the royal news of the week, of course, our housekeeping reminders, email us info at gallerypodcast.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. There's so much going on with the royals this week. So many travels. We're going to get into all of it. Rachel, cue us up for what we're talking about today. Thank you, Roberta. All right. We are talking hot off the presses about the state visit for Charles and Camilla. They have touched down in France. We are joined by the BBC's Daniela Ralph, who's chatting with us live from Paris about the proceedings as everything gets underway, happening in real time. Very excited to catch up with her. We're also talking about William's visit to New York City. We have more on the Invictus Games, a recap on that, and so much more, Roberta. Like you said, the royals have been everywhere this past week. And now it's time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail. Speaking of the state visit to France, we are going to be sipping red wine for Bordeaux. Supposedly, Charles and Camilla will be visiting the wine region during this trip. And I'm sure they're drinking something much fancier tonight at Versailles for the state dinner. My... (laughs) Cab sob is probably ten dollars. I think I don't know. Dave bought it, so I but, mean, uh, it's, have it's to a have... nice little refreshment at three p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> I know. I hope they're having a delicious vintage glass of something terrific. Mm-hmm. I love Bordeaux, by the way. That is one of my favorite places in France. I feel like it's just. I forgot that you went. You visited. I went as part of my honeymoon, and it is so so stunning. Wait, the same honeymoon as Lisbon? Yes, we went to like so many countries. We were gone for so long. It was very fortunate. I can't believe we were able to do that pre-kids. I was going to say that I'm alternating my Bordeaux with some water because I've gotten many. We've gotten some notes from listeners about why we missed Prince William live in New York City this week. And it is because womp womp, Womp, back to school week. I ended up with COVID for the first time last week. So I'm recovering. So hydrating much better now. But it's really going around this time. I didn't want to bring that to William and anywhere in his vicinity. No, and it's so contagious, this variant. Like, I think, Rachel, you're one of, like, 20 people I know right now that has COVID. So I it know. makes sense that we're taking a back seat. But we're all on the other side. That's what matters. Yes. And perfect segue to talk about what you have coming up, which is a trip to Egypt. But yeah, I leave on my birthday for two weeks and I'm really excited. I'm going with my mom and a group of people. So it will be so much fun. I haven't packed yet. I feel like I should be packed right now because it is a long trip, but I'm setting aside some stuff, especially what just came in, which is the Banana Republic Meghan Markle dress, which I haven't tried <gasps> oh my on gosh. still, but it's sitting on my bed right now. I cannot wait to hear all about that. I, what are you doing to celebrate your birthday while you're there? Because will you be flying on your birthday? Yes. And I am so excited and fortunate and lucky enough to be flying first class, which is oh my, my gosh, e- first ever international first class. I feel like this is like beyond my wildest dreams, birthday wishes. But I I don't know. I hope that like I'll get a glass of champagne from the stewardesses, maybe many glasses. Who knows? Since it's first class. Yes, <laughs> it birthday yeah, toast. So That's amazing. Fun. I cannot wait to follow along and hear all about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're so sweet. Well, let's get into our lovely listener email. This week, it's from Brianna in Youngstown, Ohio. I have to add a side note. That's where my mom is from, Youngstown, oh, Ohio. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah, small world. So like we mentioned in past episodes, we've gotten lots of emails and we still have so many to catch up on and we promise we're going to get to them. This one is from Brianna. She says, love the pod. I've been a loyal listener since right after I saw Rachel in the CNN Diana series. Thank you for filling my Thursday work mornings with all the royal news from the week and what's coming up ahead. I've been a big fan of the royal family since I was in middle school, so the better part of 20 plus years now. Diana was my favorite and also Will and Kate and their beautiful family. I've watched all the royal weddings funerals, the coronation. I've always dreamt of going to London and Windsor to visit, and I'm so excited to be traveling there for the first time this October with my brother. We have lots of royal adjacent things booked, partially thanks to recommendations from the pod and the fabulous guests you've had on. I'd love to know how I could find out what official engagements they have coming up around the time we'll be over there, since meeting or seeing any of the royal family is high on my bucket list. Brianna says she's going to be there October 16th to the 23rd. She signs off all the best. God save the pod. I'm so excited for this trip for you, Brianna. Yes, this sounds amazing. And thank you for your kind note. I'm kind of loving the surprise pop-up engagements that keep happening. We'll talk about some of those this week. I know. I also think a great resource is the Royal Diary that they keep online. I know that William and Kate don't often fill it or their teams don't have it up to date until right uh, the minute of. But Princess Anne has all of her engagements, it seems like, for almost the rest of the year in there. And she (laughs) has a few events around London in mid-October. I do think that the late September, early October timing is just big royal tour time. The Sussexes were in Australia during that time. The Cambridges in Canada and Pakistan. So I hope that they're not away while you're there. But I think there's a reason why they might not be as Earthshot in Singapore is coming up right after that. So they might be there's like that trend of them being kind of home and then away. So hopefully they're there. Yes, I hope that they're home, too. I feel like this is such a fun thing to look forward to. And I think fall in London is just the most special time to be there. And now, this week in royal history. Flashing back this week in royal history, a somber moment to reflect upon. The Queen's funeral took place on September 19th, 2022. Gosh, Roberta, just one year ago. I feel like we always say this, but so much has happened. Delve back into it, a couple of notes from that day. It was the first state funeral since Winston Churchill in 1965 and the fourth held in the last 100 years. There was so much pomp and ceremony around it. And I think that was one of my biggest memories from it was just we've never really in our we've never in our lifespan witnessed something like that. Yeah, I remember getting up and and seeing just the procession and how early we were up to, I think at like 3 or 4 a.m., which I made Dave sleep in the other room <laughs> so that I could I have know. the TV to myself. And we had, well, we also had such a full day of media appearances and watching and, you know, following along with all the events. And I remember it was really emotionally a draining exhausting time, yeah. and just yeah draining after at the end of those 10 days of the morning period of mourning too but the queen's funeral was held at westminster abbey with 1 million mourners there are new totals that have all been released coming to london to pay their respects there were 2000 guests at the abbey 100 presidents and heads of government this wasn't from the actual day of the funeral they measured longest length of the queue was 10 miles to see the queen wow 4 billion people tuned in to watch the funeral on tv 
Some of the more memorable moments, Roberta, if you think back, I'm sure you have your own that stand out. But the note atop the coffin from Charles, it said, in loving and devoted memory, Charles R., which stood for Rex, which was a big deal to see in writing because that was the first time seeing it as the new king. Also, people talked about how that was reminiscent of Diana's funeral when Harry had penned that note that said mummy on top of Diana's coffin. Buckingham Palace staff lining up outside the palace to pay respects to the as the processional went by. We also had George and Charlotte attending and walking between Kate and William into Westminster Abbey. That was really significant for them to be there. Louis, of course, was not a part of it. He was too young. But seeing them in such a grown-up role to pay respects to the Queen was very special. We had Harry and Meghan walking immediately behind Kate and William. A lot of drama and eyes on that. And this was the first time I remember in such an official capacity hearing God Save the King with Charles not mouthing along, that was kind of staggering to witness. Later in the day, we saw the Queen's corgis, Mick and Sandy, and then, of course, Emma, the fell pony. That Emma! Was... Oh, that's like the image that's seared into my brain yes, from that day. Yes, yes. Finally, there was the committal service where the crown, scepter, and orb were removed and placed on the altar at St. George's Chapel ahead of the Queen's private burial with the family only. Our team had posted a wonderful roundup of photos from that day, and we got some really great comments from listeners about how they remember September 19th. Charlie wrote, I woke up at three in the morning to watch this live. Two months before I had found an antique coffee mug at a thrift shop with Queen Elizabeth II's portrait on it and the date of her coronation. This mug was about 70 years old. I drank my coffee out of it while I watched everything. Such a chilling day. Another wrote, I slept there in front of Windsor Castle just to have the best spot for the funeral. The parade and everything was so emotional. We were all crying while watching the ceremony at Westminster Abbey on the big screens. I will definitely remember these for the rest of my life. Then I liked this comment. I remember so many things about the day, but one that stood out for me was the lost look on Princess Anne's face. She lost her mother, not the queen, and you could see it in her eyes. Mm. I think just thinking back on that day for me, Roberta, and I don't know if you agree, but still so much of the attention was on Harry, William, and Charles being back together, Meghan's presence, of course. But then there were moments of levity, too, like when Charlotte reminded George to bow. I had to rewatch that footage, and it yes. really did happen. That was so funny. <laughs> it all feels yes. like a blur now. Oh, and the corgis, too. Yeah, just thinking back on those snapshots, I think that we should, if we can, in post-production, pump in the bagpipes that played because I think that was a really important part of it was her alarm clock every morning at Balmoral and then to have the lone piper be playing the bagpipes and sending her off and the final send-off where they snapped the staff over the coffin and oh, it just it really made me emotional even to think back yesterday. I was trying to kind of get myself in the headspace for this episode and knew we were going to talk about this and it it made tears well up in my eyes to think back on how emotional that whole service was. Yeah, it was also final. I think that that was what was so remarkable to me was just thinking how we really didn't know what was ahead because she had been the norm for 70 years. And it's also fascinating. I remember thinking how heart-wrenching the duty of public grieving is. Mm. You know, it's just I know that that's the job, but having that play out and then, you know, seeing the many processionals of the week with Charles and Harry and William walking and carrying out the duty that they did with Diana. It's just, it's an impossible task, I think, yeah. and obviously full of uh, complex emotions for all of them. I totally agree because I think, too, like we were hot off the heels of Charles and Pengate and that oh, yes. kind of outburst. And I, but I do think that that's, that's a lesson in how hard it is to really fully contain all of your emotions in such a hard time for 
a million cameras staring you in the face. I just mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it would like to be in his place. Well, and that's a great segue into do you remember the footage veto that they had the, that there's still that relationship? I saw this headline that that there were there were still people mad about this part of the footage of the funeral was censored. Is that right? Yeah. So the palace had control over what the final sort of record of the day was. So they, I think in total vetoed five moments. One supposedly, we don't know the exact moments, is Mike Tyndall glancing at his watch during <gasps> a moment. Of, it's kind of big. But I wasn't necessarily that's tied true. to that's anything, true. you know? That's like so a little bit harsh, I think yeah. that was something that was edited out. You'd think it was something like, I don't know, just very, very obscene or things like that. But um, but they had ultimate control over what the record of the day is, which is very interesting. Do you remember some of the other ones, the other five? No, they don't tell us. It's, they don't have. Yeah. Oh, 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 wait. So the mic looking at his watch is just it's just that... presumed. Yeah, we don't oh. we don't know exactly what the moments are. It might be the pen stuff. There's just they have the fi- the control over what goes into the historical archive fascinating. Yeah. And speaks to the relationship that the monarchy has with the media and the ultimate control and that imbalance that has existed for so long. Well put, Rachel. Anyways, yes. Quite the year. All right. Well, I do think the one year anniversary of everything will feel much heavier and years on. Like, it's the beauty, too, of these ceremonies. Like you said, we haven't seen this since Winston Churchill, kind of that level of funeral. And so I think it is really beautiful at the end of the day. Like I saw pictures of the flowers online. It just Yeah, and it's a long life. It's a long and well-lived life. And that's what we talked exactly. about previously on the anniversary of her death. If only we were all so lucky to live till 96. Okay, a big pivot here because we are wrapping up the Invictus Games in Dusseldorf. We, of course, had our episode air on Thursday and there was still about three days left of the Invictus Games. So join us. As we travel to Germany, back to Germany. I know this feels like a lifetime ago already, but we had Harry's birthday celebrations. His birthday was Friday. Of course, he turned 39, as we discussed, but they celebrated Thursday night after our episode aired. They went to a traditional German restaurant called, and I'm going to butcher this, Im Goldenen Kessel, where they ate bratwurst, wiener schnitzel, all the German delights, potatoes, I would assume. They also served Harry white chocolate birthday cake, which I thought was really sweet. The staff brought it out while singing happy birthday. They were thrilled that he was there. They posted to their Instagram. They said he was the most lovely person, him and Megan. He had six beers, which the Daily Mail got out of some unwitting waiter. Also, she had one beer, which I thought the difference was kind of a big deal. She only had one to his six, but I don't know. I think <laughs> Harry, it was his birthday. It was his birthday. Like, come on. Yes, he deserves it. I did have to flag this, Rachel. Harry picked up the check at his birthday dinner. What Aww. is going on? Come on. I mean, joint bank accounts, probably, you know, I feel like that's like also isn't there a custom where if it's your birthday, you kind of pay isn't doesn't that exist? Oh, I guess for the staff. Yeah, the Archwell staff. Yeah, I feel like it would make sense that him and Megan would pick up the check. And if they have a joint checking account, what's the difference? I think that's always a joke that Matt and I have is like, you got this or me when it's the same account. Oh, it's a big joke with Dave and I. It's always <laughs> when we're out with friends, it's girls pay or boys pay. Like that yeah. we, and whoever yells at first has to do it. <laughs> it's so silly. We're going out to dinner Friday for my birthday. But if Dave was like girls pay, I would be like, absolutely not. But I'm sure that they had some sort of 
party for Harry where he didn't pick up the tab. All right. On to the closing ceremony on Saturday. Harry gave a very poignant speech. The remarks that are getting picked up the most are about past pain and how we can move on from that, see someone as they are in the present and not see them for their struggles in the past. I think that really echoes a lot of what Spare talked about as well. But I did want to play one section for you about military uniforms. For many of you, the uniform you've been wearing this past week will give you a new story to tell. And for others, it may give your old uniform new meaning. But I'm here to remind you that after all this, you don't need to rely on a uniform, nor should you ever feel lost without one. This obviously hits home for Harry so much. We know from Finding Freedom and Omid's and Carolyn's reporting that, you know, that was a really demoralizing thing for Harry to have to lose his uniform and his military honors and titles. And I think I think he got pretty choked up. There's another part where he gets really choked up. And I put this note only play if there's time for this clip, but I'm going to make time because it made me tear up. And I think it's a really wonderful story. I kind of had to chop it in half, but it's basically about who Prince Harry met at the Invictus Games, this man that he met from the Canadian team. He noticed that there were a set of bagpipes laying behind him and Harry wondered if he would play them. And here's the story. While we were chatting, I noticed bagpipes lying on the floor in the far corner. Some of you may know what bagpipes mean to me so I couldn't help but hope that they'd be played. Little did I know that 30 minutes later, it would be James picking them up and offering to play. Yet I had no idea what they meant to him. Nor did I know what memories they triggered for him. In Afghanistan, he played 63 ramp ceremonies for 63 caskets, for 63 souls, for 63 families. It's a really touching speech. If you have time to listen to it, it's only eight minutes long, the full speech and the closing ceremonies, obviously Invictus Games, that's a wrap. So the discussion, Rachel, I wanted to have with you today quickly is why did this feel like such a success for the Sussexes? They're back in their element. What is it, do you think, about this week and a half almost that felt so successful for them? Or did it not in your eyes? No, I thought it was a huge success. I think that there's such an authenticity here for Harry and for Meghan that, you know, it just makes everything shine. And it's it, as a whole, Invictus is such a safe space for Harry, and that comfort level really, really comes through. But I felt like also when I was watching, it's just really difficult to not, you know, remember back. This is Harry and Meghan in their element, you mm -hmm. know, and they do such a great job shining a spotlight on the cause that in this case is part of Harry's legacy, but it reminded me so much of their successes within the royal family, like Australia, or even their swan song tour when they were leaving yeah. in March 2020. I just think they were so good at the royal job, and this felt like the royal job in the last week. What did you think? So, well, you saying that reminded me, too, of how many personal relationship milestones they've had as a couple at Invictus Games, which I think even more solidifies why it holds such a spe special place in their hearts. You know, 
it was Megan's very first public engagement with Harry in the, was it the boyfriend shirt? The husband shirt. The husband shirt, that's right, by Misha Nunu. I think, too, coming off a series of somewhat really unfortunate PR mishaps when you think about, you know, the Spotify deal ending, the New York City car chase incident, it just feels like they have had a really rough summer in terms of PR. I mean, all of the divorce rumors that are just nonstop and feels, I mean, to me, feel very unfounded. But I think and this felt this, stamped out like they, yes. this appearance, they stamped those out, all the PDA, all of that. I felt like this was a great hell no to that. Yeah, hell no. And I do like that Megan kind of goes off and does her own thing for a little bit. So we saw her pop up at an undercover visit to Trebe Cafe in Dusseldorf. It's a cafe for homeless girls. She was wearing a totem outfit with pants and a top by the Swedish brand totem. But it is these quiet visits that she does. And I hope that, you know, I think that it's probably happening in California, too. And wherever they go, that there's sometimes these quiet under the radar things because they do get so much flack for like, I, I, I don't know, all the social media hate is just, it's so vitriolic. The They love the cameras. Oh, privacy tour part five. You know, it's just, yeah. it makes it really sad to read those things. And I can't imagine what it's like for them. And I was just going to say, because they're so good at this job. Like, that's the thing is that this appearance, this work felt really constructive and productive to see them doing it. And it wasn't marked by a single controversy. And I think for them, that must feel so good because mm-hmm. it's been such a bumpy even six months. You know, we're not even talking about a year. They've just had so many, like, just awful things going on where, you know, and people keep railing on them for those reasons. Yeah, totally. I know. I do want to say, too, it's easy to cheer for Megan when she's wearing all these wonderful American (laughs) brands, especially Colt Gaia and that teal dress. I'm just I will have dreams about that for the rest of my life. Quiana, Carolina Herrera, J. Crew, Ralph Lauren. The list is almost endless. I have so much shopping to do. Did you buy the cardigan from J. Crew? I hemmed and hawed about that, and I felt like just in the spirit of evaluating my closet and making good shopping decisions, while I loved it, I do feel like I have a few newish cream-like cardigans. I did find the Banana Republic dress TBD. I shouldn't even say that here because I have it somewhere in store that I have to pick up by end of day today, and I think it's a scam, but that one I did buy. I love the Kuyana look and the totem, that dress she wore to the evening reception with the Canadian team. Oh, I know. With that was neck. so striking to mm-hmm. me. Remember when Megan was like famous for the boat neck, and now I feel like it's that sort of high neck, turtleneck with the yeah. arms showing. No, totally. I know. I I do think, too, it's like it was a masterclass in beautiful outfits, but also understated enough to let Harry shine, because I think a lot of the time people say it distracts from his message when she's there, which is I don't agree with. But I think that that's kind of a criticism. And I think to do it, it was a sartorial masterclass. I mean, it was yes. just I think it was really. <laughs> Did you buy the cardigan I should follow up with? I would have loved to. It's a. It was like after the banana republic dress which was like 50 percent off i just i couldn't pull the trigger because i've spent so much money on myself lately. oh my gosh but it's on the birthday list maybe someone i don't know but i <laughs> want to pass it off to you also covid rachel how are you feeling no I- i'm feeling fine okay. i'm on the other side fi- officially we've quarantined we've done the whole thing it's more just oh my gosh that is a great segue like i said before because william yeah. in new york city i am so devastated he was in 
our backyard, but especially my backyard. I mean, Brooklyn Bridge Park, when I saw those images, Governor's Island, how many times did I go to both places? Brooklyn Bridge Park is a regular, but Governor's Island all summer. So anyways, let's, let's talk about it. And we were going to be inside the plaza. So I blew it. I blew it. No, no, it's not you at all. (laughs) I I was like kind of looking for a reason to just relax. Well, you have a busy week. All right. Well, let's talk about William in New York City. As everyone knows, he was here for the Earthshot Prize Innovation Summit at the Plaza Hotel. This was part of Climate Week. There's a lot going on at the UN as well. And this was big because it was a royal redo. He was supposed to do exactly this last September, but then the queen passed away. And so this is his first time since 2014 being in New York City. Also six weeks out from Earthshot. I can't believe it's so soon. I keep having it etched in my brain as December, but it is November 7th coming right up. So all 15 finalists were announced. There will be five winners in November. And also announced on stage at this summit was William's 7 a.m. Central Park run. This was hilarious to me. He chatted with a former Earthshot Prize winner, Vitea Cowan, and shared that he had gotten up at the crack of dawn with his security team and gone for a casual jog with other New Yorkers in Central Park who probably, because New Yorkers are like this, didn't really give a crap that it was him, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like we just exactly. go on with our day. I liked our producer's reaction that was like, Ugh, if they had like messed up my morning <laughs> run, his security team shutting down Central Park, I would be so mad. I I'm sure he was undercover, too. Well, yeah, it's like with the U.N. stuff right now, everyone tries to stay home because traffic is in such a snarl. And the plaza is right there. Plaza is right there. Yeah. So it is a great it's a great plan. Like if I was waking up, at you know, anywhere in the vicinity of the plaza, I don't know yeah. if, he, if that's exactly where he stayed, but you would get up and go for a jog. Previous day ahead of the summit, he was at Governor's Island, as I mentioned, and also the Billion Oyster Project, where we saw so many of those great videos. This was right in Brooklyn Bridge Park, Roberta. This is where I took my engagement photos with Matt, this exact pier, that little beach there. It's so just wonderful to think that he was there. I loved the tidbits that Harbor Middle School students were told that morning that they were going to be meeting with someone very important and one of the kids guessed that it was the mayor. And of course, then it was Prince William. And I just, I think what I loved is the intimacy for my own life where picturing maybe Finn waking up and being told that he's going to be doing this project because that's how these schools in Brooklyn are there. And in New York City, they're so incredible, the access and opportunities. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I would have freaked out if I was getting to meet the future <laughs> king of England for any, many reasons. Finn would have freaked out on your behalf. Let's, I don't let's know be that he would, but I hope, I hope that he would. One of my favorite moments was Prince William in Waiters. Did you see those visuals? If not, click the link. The New York Times had this epic description, Roberta, that I wanted to read to you. It was just the intro of their recap of William's visit. Wearing a fluorescent orange life preserver, and I quote, and rubber gloves that reached his biceps, Prince William waded ever so carefully into New York's East River. A minor slip might have been embarrassing. A splash? Nothing short of an international incident. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Oh my gosh. It made me laugh so hard. I love the part too where they talk about what they were figuring out what size to get them. And they yes, and they bought new ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> I also didn't know that these oyster shells protect New York City against flooding, the reuse of them and repurposing. I think that's so fascinating. All right. Well, while William was here, he met with the president of Ecuador at the UN. He also chatted with first responders at the Fire Department of New York 10 House Fire Station, which was instrumental on 9-11. He left with quite the gift, I Heart New York t-shirts for the kids, which I don't have. Do you have one of those, Roberta? 
I used to. I actually got rid of it. It was too small. But I think the new like iteration of the shirt is Daddy's Little Meatball. Have you seen this no. like, thing going around? Yes. It's like no. that's the new I Love New York shirt, supposedly. I don't know. It was in the, it was in the New York Times. I'm glad he didn't leave with those. <laughs> I hope there's a huge sales surge and everyone in the UK is wearing I Heart New York shirts. <laughs> A couple of quick notes about this visit. I wanted to call out, he flew into Newark, which surprised me because the JFK airport opportunity with Earthshot would have just been kind of fun. But I think overall, it was an incredibly successful visit, Roberta. I think that he's buoyed by this polling confidence. I know. I think that that's so funny that that was actually brought up by Michael Bloomberg. Yes. Yes. Michael Bloomberg introed William by shouting out that he is basically, let me read the exact words. I couldn't find an audio clip of it, but the prince has clearly won over Americans of all stripes is what Bloomberg said. These days, as we know, that is no small feat. In fact, the poll also showed the prince is viewed positively by 60% of Democrats and 60% of Republicans. America has not seen that kind of bipartisan consensus since 1776, but this time we're all Drinking to the king's health was <laughs> Bloomberg's joke. I thought that was Funny great. Guy. I know. The, the Daily Mail also had a field day. I don't mean to keep reading all these headlines, but did you see some of those? Yes, I saw there was like 10 headlines about how Williams like returned to hotness or something. Yeah, he won the hearts of the nation, revived <laughs> his heartthrob status. It's very confused. It's by me. way over the top. I mean, I loved this visit, but I thought that was insane. We also got some fun Roro DMs that had some sightings. Do you want to talk about that, Roberta? Yeah, so someone DM'd us who listens to the pod whose friend was actually at Joanne's Trattoria, which I think is on the Upper West or Upper East Side. It's owned by Lady Gaga's family. And Prince William was there with Jacinda Ardern, the former PM of New Zealand. Very interesting. She's involved with Earthshot, correct? Yes, she's new to the board this year. Yeah, fascinating. I would have loved to be at that restaurant. I know, sightings all over town. There's also talk that I wanted to discuss with you that Kate isn't going to go to Singapore. I know. I was really bummed when I sent this to you because I just feel like that really elevates the message so much. I know that that's kind of unfortunate that it takes that. But I do. I mean, we saw with William, though, with this New York trip that no matter what, they're they're going to have attention. But I think when Kate's there, the attention is just tenfold. So yeah, I guess yeah. the chatter is that she won't go this yeah, year. Yeah, they're saying parental duties. I don't think people really know what the reasoning might be, but also that they've committed that there's no foreign tour for William and Kate this year. So mm. we'll find out more. Maybe she'll pop up there, but I was surprised to see that. One last note on the William and Kate front before we move on. CEO news. Did you hear about this? That they are hiring for an emotionally intelligent, this is a quote, with CEO with a low ego that will report directly to Kate and William instead of through their private secretaries. This really stood out to me, Roberta, because this is a huge you're applying change. To the job? I am applying to this job. No, I am not. <laughs> you're emotionally not. intelligent. Low ego, all that stuff. Yes. <laughs> but it's a very dramatic change from the hierarchical structure that has existed in the past and how royal households are run. So I wonder if that's just jargon and that's the truth but i i am curious to see who they bring in but it's gonna be you because you have the best resume all right let's move on to our chat with daniela ralph here it is 
Roros. We're joined once again by BBC Royal correspondent Daniela Ralph. You'll remember she joined back in May to give us the scoop on preparations for King Charles III's coronation. And she's back with us today, live from the King's long-awaited state visit to France. She's with the press entourage traveling with Charles and Camilla, so she's joining us from her hotel in Paris. Thank you so much for making time in your busy travel schedule, Danielle. We're so thrilled to hear you're here. No, my pleasure. Well, first, we want to back up. Why is this visit for Charles and Camilla so important? We know it was delayed in March. Is there a sense of relief from the palace that it's finally happening? Yeah, 100%. A huge sense of relief uh, that it's finally happening and that Charles and Camilla have arrived here in France today. This visit, as you say, is six months late. It was due to happen back in March. But at the time, there were these big anti-government protests going on on the streets of Paris. And there was just a feeling that uh, the optics around a state visit by the royal family to France were just not going to be good. Uh, There was also a huge security issue in terms of what could be done within the city. So at the very last minute, and quite embarrassingly really for the French government, they had to call off the state visit to France and basically tell the king and queen that it wasn't safe for them to come here and they couldn't be protected. So that co- that caused a huge amount of having to, to rejig things. And of course, France, one of the UK's nearest and most important neighbours, was due to be the first state visit of the king and queen. So a lot of symbolism in coming to France first. But in fact, it was Germany that took that prize and became the first location for a state visit. But six months on, things are calmer here in the city and the timing was right for the king and the queen to come here and to sort of restart that state visit. It's fascinating. We want to know what is the king's schedule like for this trip? I think I read somewhere 21 engagements in three days. Is that is that true? Yeah, it's correct. More than that, I think, actually. I haven't done a full count, but I think it's more. It's absolutely crazy for three days. I've done a few of these royal trips before and they're they're often quite busy and you're sort of running around the city in different locations. This one seems especially tricky. And it's quite difficult just from our point of view here, trying to cover each aspect of the trip, you know, physically, practically getting around to as many of the engagements as possible is pretty difficult on this trip because they're quite crammed together. There's a lot going on. There's so much being put into each day that we're having to do a lot of sharing material with our fellow broadcasters. You know, one of us goes here, one of us goes there, and we kind of come together and hand over all our pictures. So it's really logistically complicated. It's They're really cramming things in. I think perhaps uh, there's a little bit of the fact that we got used to traveling when she did travel with the Queen, the late Queen. And of course, over recent years, she hasn't she didn't do much overseas travel and the kind of trips that she did would never have had quite as busy a schedule. But the king and queen want to do as much as possible when they come on these trips. They want to cover a lot of ground, sport, culture, environment, all sorts of issues being covered here. And they obviously feel physically up to to doing this many different kind of engagements and visits. So I think that's why there is so much being crammed into the three days that they are here in France. But it is pretty hectic. Yeah, we're thrilled to Sorry, I was going to say we're thrilled to follow along because I think I read Notre Dame, Chanel, even a visit to the wine region, Bordeaux. Are there any highlights that you're most looking forward to for the trip? Yeah, um, the the state banquet, uh, which is happening on the first day, that's always a big showpiece of any state visit. It's glitzy, it's glamorous, it's got celebrities there. There are tiaras and fancy dresses and 
all sorts of stuff. So that that is a real visual delight of a state visit and gives it a real sort of status and clout. But there are lots of little things that are going on over the course of the next couple of days well that will be really interesting. I think Notre Dame will be fascinating to see the king and queen will be going to see the restoration of Notre Dame following that terrible fire four years ago. They will get to see some of the craftsmanship that is going in to rebuilding that magnificent cathedral in, in the centre of Paris. Uh, the king is also going to become the first British monarch to address both houses of the French parliament from within the Senate chamber. No British monarch has done that before. He will give a speech in French. He is fluent in French. Um, where he will talk about the importance of the friendship between the UK and France. And there's also a couple of big sporting events going on in France at the moment. It is the Rugby World Cup here um, right now, and it is also going to be the Olympics in Paris next summer. So there's going to be a sporting flavour to some of the engagements a couple do, and they will meet some quite well-known sporting stars over the next couple of uh, days as part of that. It's so action-packed. And I love you mentioned the state dinner, which is happening, taking place at Versailles, underway right now. What are some of the dispatches you're getting about that? Any, any tidbits that are fun to, that you're learning about in real time? <laughs> I mean, this is going to be quite the show. To choose Versailles in the first place is an interesting choice. They could have stayed in Paris, in the centre of Paris, done it at the Elysee Palace, where the French uh, president lives. But no, they've gone to Versailles. Now, Versailles, of course, used to be home to the French royal family before the French Revolution and all their royals were sent to the guillotine. But this time they're going to be hosting the state dinner at Versailles, celebrating uh, the royal family of one of its closest neighbours. So it was an interesting choice to put it in Versailles. But I think the thing with going there is it is it it's such a spectacle. It is such a glamorous, gorgeous location that it gives a real sense of status to the event uh, of the state banquet. There's about 150 guests there this evening, of course, uh, led by the King and Queen and President Macron and his wife, Brigitte. But there's also Mick Jagger is there. We've seen already the actor Hugh Grant is there. There's all sorts of sporting stars, particularly soccer players who have a link between France and the UK, who are very famous figures in the UK. They are all there. So it's, it's a real sort of cultural mix of people who perhaps have a link to both the UK and France. There's three of the best chefs in France are cooking at the state banquet tonight. One is doing the starter, one's doing the main, one's doing the dessert. Oh, wow. So it is a real glamorous occasion. And we are expecting the king to give a toast and make a short speech as well, just about the common bonds and the shared ties between the two countries. Mm. Yeah, the choreography of it all. Have you, you yeah. know, because you're just, you know, as you mentioned, kind of dotting around, going all over, uh, shadowing all the events. Have you had any private moments or interactions with the monarchs? Not yet, no. I mean, there often are on these trips a moment where we get some time to spend with the king and queen. I'm not sure it will happen on this one, to be honest, because looking at the itinerary and the schedule, um, I don't quite know where the gap is going to be for them to perhaps spend an hour with the media. But it, it does happen. There is often a chance where you get to have a chat with them and see them a little bit off camera and get a sense of how they feel things are going. It could it could happen here. It's not down on the schedule at the moment. Mm. Any other highlights from day one? I know you just flew in probably this morning, last night. What, what, what was it? Yeah, I got the train in yesterday. So, oh, the train. Um, the train, yeah. And uh, on the Eurostar to Paris from London. And the king and the queen arrived around lunchtime, French time today. They flew into Orly Airport just on the outskirts 
of Paris. And what, what they got straight away was the full ceremonial welcome. At the Arc de Triomphe, there was a military band, the French president there to greet them. And it was immediate from the start what really the theme of the visit was going to be, which was shared experiences and the common ground that the two countries have. So uh, there was uh, a shared moment of remembrance at the tomb of the unknown soldier, which sits just beneath the Arc uh, de Triomphe in, in Paris. We watched the president and the king sort of tapping each other on the back, you know, sort of looking really friendly and chummy. There's obviously uh, a, a great rapport between them. And in fact, the British government has said the two have a warm relationship is how they put it. And there was also this amazing visual moment when they left the Arc de Triomphe. They drove down the Champs-Élysées, the main road in the centre of Paris, down to the presidential palace. And they did so in a sort of open, not quite an open top vehicle, but they kind of, President Macron and the king stood up sort of through the sunroof of the car as they drove down the Champs-Élysées. It was quite an image that we hadn't been expecting to see, where they both stood up and kind of waved at the crowds that were there as they went down to the presidential palace. So, you know, there were these moments that seemed to suggest a real friendship and a bond between the king and the president on a personal level here in France. And it, it hasn't been the easiest relationship between the UK and France in recent years. We've had Brexit, where the UK left the European Union. The French weren't happy about that. And things have been pretty frosty. So this kind of visit really can help ease relationships a bit. It sounds like a very warm reception. That's great to hear. Well, we wanted to ask, Kate and William were recently in France, and it's been a busy September for the Royals, even Harry and Meghan at the Invictus Games. We also had William in New York City this week. So we'd love to hear your take, Danielle, on how the different royal offices work together nowadays. It was our impression that there was this effort to avoid kind of the headline overlap from the different palaces. Is that true or is that sort of a relic of the past? I think both of them at the moment are working pretty well together. When the Queen died, uh, the late Queen, there was effectively um, a change of personnel in both the office at Kensington Palace at work with William and Kate and the office at Buckingham Palace that are now dealing with Charles and Camilla. And I think they're at a stage now where they do try their very best to ensure that the two teams and the two schedules don't clash. It does happen sometimes. That's not to say that it doesn't happen. But I think there is a sense that they are both trying to work together. They're different kinds of offices, I have to say. The team that work at Buckingham Palace are perhaps a little bit more formal, as you would expect, with the, the king and queen, perhaps a little bit older, a bit more experienced in some ways um, in terms of dealing with the kind of things they're dealing with. And perhaps also a little bit more guarded in terms of what they're saying and what guidance they give you. At Kensington Palace, the team with Kate and William, they're younger, perhaps a little bit more relaxed, have a bit a different kind of view in terms of what they're interested in doing and what they want to do. Big focus on the social media content they provide around Kate and William and the work that they're doing. But I think we are, as you say, September's been busy. Things are, are ramping up again after a pretty quiet summer. And we are going to see, uh, I think, a lot of travelling from both the King and the Queen and the Prince and Princess of Wales in recent months as well. I, I kind of felt that after the Queen died last year, the focus was on a little bit on sort of playing it safe and making sure that that transition from a 70-year reign to a new reign and everyone taking up their new positions went smoothly. That was the focus. And a lot of the work that was being done was very much focused on the UK only. But I think 
we're going to see a lot more traveling this year. We're going to see the royal family go global a bit more and do do more traveling, get out of the UK a bit more. And it will be interesting to see how they fare and what the reaction to them is. Daniela, that's the perfect segue into our last question, which this is the one-year anniversary this month of the passing of Queen Elizabeth. And this state visit in France feels like quite a splashy kickoff to Charles and Camilla's second year of their reign. Do you feel like this, you know, just your reaction and experience on the ground, does it feel like they're hitting their stride? I, I think so. I think they've taken it slowly. And I think it has been quite a safe year in terms of what the king has done. There's been no real significant change. You know, he's taken it very slowly, very steadily, and is very conscious, I think, of how he is being received and of the kind of work that he should be doing. But things will step up. He's here, as you say, in France for this, you know, rescheduled state visit that comes with quite a lot of impact and and glamour. We are expecting him to probably go on a royal tour to Africa later on this month. We know we're also going to be seeing Prince William in Singapore doing some of his environmental work in November. So I think things are stepping up a gear. We are going to see them branching out. We're going to get a flavour of the kind of issues that they are really interested in. I think nobody has wanted to rock the boat, have they, in this first year? It was a, a difficult time. Uh, following the death of the Queen. It was difficult for the UK, you know, when most of us have only ever known one monarch. It was a little bit unsettling and destabilising when she died. And I think the royal family was conscious of that and wanted to keep the ship steady. But a year on, I think things can start to move forward. And I think we will see that shift and perhaps people stepping up and moving into a new direction, particularly globally and around travel. Well, we're very excited to tune in from the U.S., from New York and everything. And we really appreciate you coming on and joining us again, Daniela. And we hope that the state visit goes really well for you and we'll be following along. Thanks so much. It's really nice to talk to you. Thank you. Live from Paris, how fun was it to catch up with her, Roberta? I know. I'm so excited to see the rest of her coverage of the state visit to France. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. All right, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our highs and lows. My low this week was I was really disappointed. From last week, I guess you guys will remember me talking about if the royal family would honor Harry's birthday on social media. They did not completely radio silent from them in that regard. I think it's interesting because the distinction was made by sources, I guess, from the palace that said that it was for working royals only. But when you look back, 2021, they shouted out Harry's birthday. He wasn't a working royal at that point. 2022 was obviously skipped because it was mourning for the queen. So it's just a really sad, too, to not see any support for the veterans from Invictus Games. I think this quote I wanted to read is from Ben, a double amputee who inspired Harry to launch the games. He told The Telegraph, just saying that they should have just given the lads a shout out. It's like when we went to Afghanistan, no one supported the war, but they supported the troops. It's the same thing. I really think that. I mean, other heads of state, other countries honored the games, said how proud they were of the people there. So just really disappointed. Yeah, I agree. Milo, I don't mean to be a broken record, but just missing William in Brooklyn Bridge Park because that is my home. I am sad, but I will get over it and hopefully he comes back. (laughs) And you're on the mend. Thank God. On the mend. All right. My high this week is that Beatrice and Eugenie hit the red carpet in style at the Vogue World event last week. Eugenie was in Fendi, Beatrice and Richard Quinn. Eugenie's first time stepping out since having baby Ernie in May. I couldn't believe that it had been May. So that's 
three months since we've seen her just flown. She looked by. striking too. Yeah, so beautiful. I really loved Eugenie's look and Beatrice. Yes, they both yes. looked amazing. Speaking of fashion. The queen in France, this is my high. I am so surprised by my own high. But I just, I we just got the first images of her at the state banquet. So stunning, a cape dress, Roberta. I know, I know. And But it's interesting, matching in navy with the first lady of France. I can't really yes, believe that. Yes, was that, that. intentional? Was, yeah, I feel like it maybe wasn't. Aren't you, aren't you not supposed to match the queen like we talked about last week? Exactly. Part B of my high, though, is this Marilyn Monroe moment that Camilla had when she got off the plane. I just kept thinking, do you remember about the skirt weights that the queen supposedly had sewn into the hem? I wondered if Camilla forgot to put those in her. <laughs> I have skirt weights. Have you ever? Have no, you ever I didn't them? know that. No, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to send you some next time. They're actually really helpful for New York windy oh, days. Well, I can't wait for the folk fashion recap on Camilla in France. I know. She looks really gorgeous tonight. And the blue sapphire necklace is just chef's kiss. Mwah. So much high fashion. All right. Just a reminder before we close. Leave us a royal review. We love, love, love getting good reviews. It helps us. It helps the pod continue on. It helps everyone. Also subscribe. That helps us a lot, too. All right. This review, five stars, says, love the podcast and your enthusiasm. I will be listening. We love that you guys write us reviews. We love some new ones. We hope that you've been enjoying these last few episodes as we hit the ground running for fall, just like the Royals. Remember to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcasts. Send us an email at info at gallerypodcasts with an S dot com. And till next week. God God save save the the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.